Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we're joined by Dr. Stephen Loftus on tonight's episode as we break down day two of the 2021 MLB draft. And it's fair to say, I think, that the Orioles went in some different directions with their picks that many were not expecting. Nonetheless, they come out with an interesting batch of college hitters as the team goes heavy on college bats, particularly college outfielders, in day two of the draft. We'll get to that on tonight's episode. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So after last night, uh, the, when the Orioles drafted Colton Cowser with the fifth overall pick in the draft, the sense was that that was going to be an underslot signing and the Orioles were going to land a big name on day two. They didn't really land a big name, but it instead seems like that they're going to be drafted going to have to sign several players that are going to command more than slot money. And that's something we're going to get into tonight. And another thing that I think we're going to be talking about is that the Jordan 2020 season really came into play on day two because a lot of these players don't have much data uh, after just two years of play at the college level. And I think that that's led to some gaps in how they're assessed. So just kind of before we get into each individual player, I want to run down some of the bigger names. Uh, Connor Norby, a second baseman out of East Carolina, was the second-round pick for the Orioles with a 41st overall selection. Reed Tremble out of Southern Miss was taken by the Orioles with the 65th pick. And that's one of the players where there seems to be a major gap in the evaluations from a lot of outlets. Uh, And that's something we're going to discuss a little bit. And in a similar vein, the Orioles took John Rhodes, an outfielder out of Kentucky, with the 76th overall pick in the third round. Uh, Rhodes, again, guy with some interesting tools, but not a lot of data on him. And it seems to be leaving a gap in the way that he is assessed. So just want to start off by taking a broad overview of your thoughts on day two. Uh, What surprised you? What maybe you were a little bit disappointed in? How you just felt overall? And I'll I'll start this one off with Steven. Well, it seems the Orioles... uh... Seems they got a type, don't they? Um, we were we were talking before everything started. At this point, I think we could all more or less guess because I mean, you know, 
they talk about Elias Sigma Jaw being a very uh, analytic heavy model driven team in their draft process. And at this point, at least from a hitter's perspective, I think we can guess what the inputs are into their model, exit velocity, isolated power, age, and some form of ranking who cares if strikeouts, um, what their strikeouts are. That can't be in there. If it was um, a lot of these players would be knocked back a bit. Um, you know, wall crate, maybe it's in there, but it definitely doesn't matter nearly as much as power and the exit velo sort of stuff. But, you know, you can, that's the sort of thing that you can build around. You can get, I can get behind that philosophy, generally speaking. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a little variety there, I will admit, but um, I, I'll save my concerns for a bit later. But overall, it seems like this is a very Orioles draft. It seems like this is what they tend to buy in behind. You know, don't worry about strikeouts. Get young guys who seem to have some projection still left on them, especially at the college level, and uh, who can hit the ball hard. Yeah, you know, I was definitely like getting excited for that big name to pop up in our second round of comp B pick. You know, Will Taylor was out there. Um, Bubba Chandler was there. Um, there was a bunch of those guys, Jaden Hill. But then I was a little surprised when I saw Connor Norby because then I saw that MLB had his ranking at 59. I was like, oh, they're going under slot again. Turns out that's not the case. But um, yeah, I think Steven's <laughs> right on the money. It's Exit velocity. They hit the ball hard. They hit the ball far. And uh, it, the age, like you said, uh, Reed Trimble and John Rhodes are both COVID freshmen, COVID eligible freshmen. So they're young for a college draftee. Maybe if they had a whole wooden bat league performance uh, going into another college year, they could be first or second round talents. So they popped on them early. They're obviously going to pay them a little bit over slot to get them to sign. But I, I like the class. At first, I was a little disappointed like I said in the beginning, but just as it stretched out and the more I saw of it, I like what they're doing. This is the same model that they used in 2019 and 20 and 20, 2020 that uh, produced the guys that are coming up the ranks now and looking really good, like Jordan Westberg and all the rest. So I'm okay with it. I hate this draft. Mike Elias, this is pathetic. No pitching, all outfielders. Like you can only play three outfielders at one time. Like, I don't think he understands that uh, obviously. So that's it. Um, no, like I, Who's going to replace Matt Harvey <laughs> in the rotation? <laughs> hey, Bubba Chandler looks just like uh, Hunter Harvey, by the way. He's a blonde Hunter Harvey, and that was kind of scary uh, watching his interview. Uh, but, no, I mean, I like these guys just based off, like, researching as much as I could here in this first day. Uh, you know, it wasn't like a Cleveland draft where I was familiar with, like, half of their draft picks there, uh, which is a little bit exciting. Them are the Angels, but... This, these guys require some research on my end. You know, not going to lie. We're open and honest about that. We're not scouts. Uh, that's why we have Steven here to break down some of these guys, this show and everything. But it, it all just seemed like high floor guys, fast risers. Brad Stiolik mentioned that today right after the draft. Steve Molesky had an article with some quotes, good quotes from him uh, right before we came on the air. Seemed like guys that, you know, we keep talking about raising the floor of the system. I think these guys do that. Um a lot of these guys remind me of other guys already in the system, like Dante Williams, the fourth round pick. I get like Zach Watson vibes out of him, uh, stuff like that. But it's interesting for sure. Definitely missing that big name. But uh, there, there's at least one name in here that I think all of us are getting excited about that we can talk about later on. But like you mentioned, there is a type and uh, Michael Ice is uh, not straying from that type. Well, and I think that one of the players who fits uh, that type or at least some part of that type was Connor Norby, who went in the second round. Second baseman out of East Carolina, 
Um, MLB Pipeline had him ranked the 58th uh, best prospect in the draft. Uh, it says that here's this reading from MLB Pipeline's report. Norby's bat is his lone tool that grades better as better than average. He has a disciplined approach using a short right hand swing to make repeated hard contact from gap to gap. After homering just twice in 44 games over his first two college seasons, he went deep nine times in his first 31 in 2020, and he possesses the bat speed and sneaky enough strength to provide 12 to 15 homers annually in pro ball. Um, this looks to me like a guy that's going to have to stick at second base because you're not necessarily looking at the defense or the power to play another position. But an interesting pick, and like Nick said, it kind of fits the mold of players that are already in the system. I'm picturing sort of a Terran Dabra thing where we look at that gap-to-gap strength but not necessarily big-time home run power. Um, so Norby, I think, does fit a mold that the Orioles have, even if it's not the one that dominated the day, which is the you know big-time power-hitting college outfielder. Yeah, I think for me personally, I, I like just reading some of the stuff you got on Connor Norby right after the draft. He led the nation in hits this year, career 392 hitter, huge on base numbers. Uh, he had a streak there of 56 straight games where he got on base. Uh, so you mentioned the hit tool, and it was a lot of – hitterish hitter 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 big time hitter and everybody's assessments there uh somewhat i can't remember where i saw this from but uh i think I believe his coach that said he's the best right-handed hitter i've ever coached uh quotes like that so you like seeing that um good walk to strikeout numbers as well as almost one to one 33 walks 34 strikeouts this year uh the big thing was the power though uh, i'm i'm curious is like what do you make of a guy like that who he had just two home runs in his first 44 games but then he hits 15 home runs this year um Showed a little bit of power in the Valley League. I saw he played here. The local news has already been all over this. They love this Connor Norby pick. <laughs> local hero played for uh, Waynesboro in the Valley League. But that's a metal bat league, so not a lot of you – know, it's not wooden bat. and It's decent competition as well. But that's what I'm curious about. How does a guy go from, like, no home runs to 15 in one year? That's intriguing to me. I mean, power is the last thing to develop on players without fail. Um, it's very rare that a player's power comes before the hit tool. And – a lot of people tend to think, and I, I tend to agree with this. You see a lot of grades on his power at like just, uh, you know, fringe average on the 45 sort of range of things. I tend to think it's about a 50 bat or excuse me, actually, sorry. I think it's a 60 bat. I think it's 50 power sort of thing, you know, or at least raw power. It might be a tick below that in game, but there's been a lot of sneaky power that he has had and he started to grow into it possibly. So I think there's a chance he can replicate that. I don't think he's going to be a 20 home run guy, but I mean, you don't necessarily need that at second base. I think he can play adequate enough second base to be fine out there and, you know, hit 10 to 15 home runs that that'll work. That'll play for a second rounder. Yeah. I want to read an interesting comment I saw on Twitter. Someone named juicy Jensen. I don't know, (laughs) but uh, it seems like they have some kind of inside knowledge, but it's they said O's think they have some of the best swing design development in the bigs and likely do. So they target whoever has the top swing metrics, hard hit rate, average exit velocity and contact rate combo, and then just optimize the bat path. So that goes, that was about Colton Kowser, but I think it goes to pretty much their whole entire draft. And that includes Connor Newby. So, or Norby, excuse me. So they, he, if he hits the ball hard, and you, like you said, he went from two home runs to 15 home runs, it kind of reminds me of Jordan Westberg, where if he hits the ball hard, all we got to do is make a slight change <laughs> in his swing path, and the ball can go out of the yard more often. So, yeah, I like the pick a lot. Um, seemed like he had a first-round grade by a few people, or he could have snuck in at the back end of the first round, kind of like Tyler Black 
similar to him. So, yeah, I like the pick. Yeah, See where I, he starts. I, I could have seen where last night if you had a team that was going to go under slot, kind of like San Diego did at the end of the first round, Norby would have been a justifiable pick, I think, in that type of situation. So Absolutely. I think there's decent value here. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely agree with you on that one. I personally had him around like, you know, honestly right on around the uh, 41 slot just in terms of both in terms of having to adjust a little bit for my model. Uh, he had a pretty bad freshman year and that kind of, you know, hasn't had as many plate appearances in college to wash out. But I would say, he, you know, 41 is about where he should have gone, um, you know, in terms of my thinking, at least regardless of Orioles or otherwise. Yeah, so that's the player that I think we're going to have the smoothest discussion on because now it's about to get a lot more interesting uh, with Reed Trimble, who the Orioles took with their third selection today, the 65th overall pick. Trimble ranks 148th on uh, MLB Pipeline's top draft prospects list, ranks 44th on Fangrass. Uh, Eric Longenhagen, who we've had on the show before, really respect his work, pretty much tweeted his praises for this pick immediately. And when you read some of the things about Trimble that are positive, you can see why. Switch hitter, um, someone that Jim Callis said projects to be, you know, has the potential of a 2020 guy in the major leagues, plus some versatility because although he's an outfielder now, he has been an infielder before. And every report that I've read today agrees that if the team that drafted him wanted to try him in the infield, in addition to having him in the outfield, they would be able to do that. The question with Trimble is, as Bob touched on a little bit ago, he's a draft-eligible freshman who really didn't have much of a freshman year because of the pandemic. And, again, this is kind of the prototypical Orioles pick. High strikeouts. Is that hit tool going to complement the power um, to make him a regular? And I think that's a big question here. And this, to me, looks like the kind of epitome of a high-risk, high-reward pick that in most other years you probably wouldn't see here because you'd have more data to know what kind of player he is. Whereas now we're just kind of working off of, what, roughly a season and a quarter maybe at the college level for Trimble. So this is a tough pick, but I'm intrigued by it. And the more I've read, the more I like it, but it's risky. Yeah, I was getting real Kyle Stowers vibes from this pick, just with the high strikeout rate. Uh, power. We'll see if the hit tool can match it, but uh, obviously he's a better athlete, got much more speed and versatility. So I'll take that to the way Cal Stowers is hitting right now. But yeah, like you said, Eric Longenhagen, he loved this pick. He was all over it. And it seemed like there was like one guy who liked each of our first few picks specifically. So that's exciting. Yeah. Like you said, the more you read about these guys, the more you like it, I guess, you know, it benefits having to be able to bring these guys in for private workouts and just get information that a lot of, especially this year, this was so from the very beginning, the mocks, all that stuff. It, it was tough. It was tough for these guys to, to uh, get a beat on it. So yeah, I like the pick seems just like a toolsy athlete and just get him out there, get him running and develop this kid. Yeah. I kind of got like Hudson Haskin vibes almost a little bit. It's, we always joke about Michael Elias has this type of SEC college bat, but he also loves Conference USA bats apparently as well because he's reaching for these guys as, as well. Um, but yeah, this was definitely the most, I think this is the most intriguing pick for me just because I want to see what he can do. Like, is he this big time power bat that can stick in center field or what exactly is, who exactly is Reed Trimble here? How is he going to uh, translate to the next level? That I, I, I don't know. Um, so I think he has options though. And that's another thing too, with a lot of these picks, 
like Zach mentioned, yeah, he has that high school experience. So he was a high school shortstop, uh, infield experience, sorry. He was a high school shortstop. So at least there are guys where you can start him in the outfield, maybe play him a little bit of shortstop in the lower levels in you know, the GCL or, or at Del Mar for a little bit, see what he's got. He's versatile. And we've seen the Orioles send guys like Jemai Jones and even Mason McCoy and Adam Hall sending all their second basemen shortstops into the outfield this year as well. So versatility is kind of the name of the game, I guess, with him. Yeah, there's value in versatility. No question. My worry, as with pretty much everyone that got picked today, it seems, is that hit tool. Like, it seems like we're collecting a bunch of guys who are right around that 45, 47 and a half sort of hit tool uh, grade with uh, 50, maybe even 55 power in a few cases. And that 45, 47, that's right on the line where maybe um, a power bat can play. But it's it's real risky on that one. But of those guys, I think Trimble does have the best shot to stick just because he brings other things to the table. He's got decent run times. He he has a good fielding grades. Like he ha- he can bring value in a few other places besides just the power. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. There's enough of a well-rounded skill set here that you can bank on more than power. Um, I do want to read from Eric from Fangraph's report here, just to kind of give a little bit of context on why they seem to be high on him. Um, Trimble does have an expansive approach and is apt to chase, but he's an ultra tool. He is ultra toolsy for a smaller frame prospect, a switch hitter. He's an explosive uh, rotator from both sides of the plate. He has pull power as a righty hitter, but will take you deep to any field from the left side. Both of his swings have a natural loft but they're not uh, all that long because Trimble is so compact. Uh, he's also a plus runner with gap-to-gap range in center field and above-average arm. He can get a little carried away trying to throw guys out, so there's room for him to profile even if the approach hurts his offensive production. Sounds like Adam Jones. <laughs> I do want to go back to something Nick mentioned, which is how we've seen the Orioles move their players around a little bit, um, particularly middle infielders like Adam Hall, Mason McCoy, Jemai Jones. Trimble would fit that mold. And I'll just throw this out there from a development perspective for a moment. Let's say Trimble is at Delmarva to start next year. Would you have a problem with him in the course of a week, maybe playing three different positions? You know, one night he's at shortstop or third, the next night he's in center, the next night he's in right, moving him around a little bit, or would you be more concerned about getting the hit tool down first and then trying the versatility? I mean, hey, try it out at the start of the season. As long as he isn't hitting 210 and striking out 33% of the time, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean, they were even doing that with Anthony Servideo this year. They were putting him out there in the outfield. Uh, so, But he was getting on base uh, at an extremely high rate. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that as well. I, I don't know. Being a, as high of a draft pick as he was, I don't know if that would play into this. Uh, if you want to keep him in that outfield position, I, I just don't know. Reed Trimble, this is the guy. Trimble and the next guy, Rhodes, are the two guys – that I'm most confused about I'm intrigued, but confused just because there's not a lot of information out there on them. It's hard to get a good read on what type of player these guys are, I think, in my opinion. So um, the next two, these two picks right here are definitely the toughest ones for me. It's, I could be excited about them in the long run as I learn more about them. Uh, and I hope I will be, but for right now, they, I have the most questions about these two guys. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I feel like I get the sense that Elias and Orioles think they know more about, uh, Trimble and Rhodes than everybody else and that they're kind of getting away with the steal here considering their age and and the lack of playing time for everyone to uh, take note of. But 
Yeah, the Orioles clearly they they move guys all around. It seems like every night, Taron Vavra's in center field. You know, it just doesn't matter. You're going to play different positions. It seems like that's just something they value, or they at least want to teach all the way up to get maybe to get guys to in a pinch. Hey, go play this position. Okay, no problem. So that that could be interesting with Trimble. We'll see. Yeah, so we're going to uh, turn our attention now to John Rhodes, who was taken by the Orioles with a 76 overall pick. Um, so Rhodes kind of. Some different rankings thrown out there. Baseball America had him 173rd. MLB Pipeline had him 134th. Um, and an interesting note here um, about Rhodes from MLB Pipeline, talking about uh, the expectations for him coming into the season and how he performed. Uh, he had a chance to join Chad Green and Evan White as the only first-round position players in school history. That's the University of Kentucky. If he had kept hitting, but instead he has slumped in 2021. Rhodes has the potential for solid tools across the board. A year ago, he looked like an advanced hitter. It was a quick right-handed swing and the ability to make adjustments at the plate. But he's gotten caught up trying to hit homers in 2021. Some of the things that I read beyond that suggested that Rhodes was improving by a good bit as the season uh, was coming to a close. One thing that's interesting with him is that if the draft had been in June this year, as it has been in the past, he would not have been eligible uh, this year. But instead... The extra time allowed him to be a draft-eligible freshman, as they're called this year. And the Orioles take him here with a 76 overall pick. I'll admit that of the picks, this is the one that, you know, Trimble, I think, is the riskiest. This is the one that I think kind of like Nick said confuses me the most. Because within one report on him, I can read something and think, oh, the Orioles might have reached a little bit here. But then I can also see, oh, Got some power, good arm, uh, led the nation in outfield assists this year. So you know that arm's going to play the corner outfield spot. If he's a 25-30 homer guy uh, and he's got some raw power, this might be a good pick, but it's hard to tell. Well, to give you something to at least feel a little better about, yeah, you see a lot of um, him ranked around like 100, 140. Um, Kylie McDaniel at ESPN had him 67th. So that's right in line with – that's right in line with where he's getting picked there. And I mean, coming out of his freshman year, he was looking like a very advanced bat, like, you know, not walking a ton, but still hitting 426 with, uh, again, a 250 ISO after his freshman year. This year, the ISO didn't go up and the batting average went down to 250. It's, I mean, there's a little bit of video out there on him and it's a really pretty swing. Like if you go look at uh, some of the swings he takes in BP, and uh, there are a couple videos up there, as I said, it's a real nice swing from the right-handed side. But again, this, you know, the strikeouts are a little high. He doesn't walk or doesn't walk a ton. Like it's not, a, not as bad as it could be uh, this year. He walked about 12%, which is better than, you know, better than most. But, you know, again, it's the, uh, I have a hit grade on of like 47 and a half, 50, 55 power, depending on the data I'm looking at him, but he doesn't have as you know, nice and well-rounded a profile as Tremble, you know, 50 run, 50 field sort of thing. Good arm, but you know, um, <sighs> It's it's a bit riskier though because you are betting a bit more on the bat because it seems like he's most likely to wind out in a corner. So, um, but there is still there's still a lot there to uh, to look at. And again, there's a lot of power that could come from there. And he, you know, he doesn't turn 21 for another about 40 days, give or take. He's really young. There's still a lot of projection there, and to have the opportunity for projection with a college bat is a rarity. So that's that's where they're getting all this from at this point. Yeah. Baseball America had him ranked 110th. 
and they said despite his down year, uh, scouts still like his bat and pure hit tool with good contact ability, solid balance at the plate, and a swing that is more geared for low line drives and home runs at the moment. And it seems like all of his other tools are around average from what they say. The most interesting thing to me is that he was a catcher until he broke his back. <laughs> and then he kind of has played first base and third base as well. So another a guy you can move around the corners of the outfield and infield. So it's interesting. And the age really brings in uh, the question that he could develop more than like some other college guys that were drafted. Yeah, Baseball America also had another article on him. They interviewed him earlier in the season uh, when he was really struggling, and I enjoyed reading that. I thought it was a good kind of look at um, kind of what he, how he views himself. I got the sense that he understood that he was struggling, and like once he found out he was eligible for the draft, that that you know being a high draft pick was probably you know, he was losing grip on that. Uh, and so I just got the idea that he's like a good coachable guy uh, from that article. Um, but, you know, yeah, this again, another one that just kind of confuses me a little bit. He was he's playing on the Cape this summer, looking at those numbers and he's you know hitting 300 on the Cape in like nine games. So, I mean, uh, maybe it's not a big sample at all, but uh, it's better than 250. He was hitting in the SEC this year. Um, yeah, this one. The big question with me is it seems like this guy with Rose, is he a guy, one of these overslot picks? Uh, is he a guy you got to pay more money to to convince? Because it seems like he has a lot of uh, leverage coming into negotiations, having so much eligibility at Kentucky, a down year. Is he going to want to bet on himself, go back to Kentucky, put up a big year and maybe a, a back in the first round, second round draft pick next year? Uh, or the, is he just going to go ahead and sign with the Orioles? And that's what and is he the kind of guy you want to throw extra money at, though, I guess? I think you're going to have to, It's, but you do have the right question there. Is he that type of guy? And again, it seems like for the Orioles, for what they're building, for what they're you know basing their decision-making off of, he is that type of guy, especially if it's the, again, has power, but right now has a, has, I mentioned it last night, the UVA swing, the line drive, you know, gap to gap, double swing. Um, if they truly believe in their player development and swing, uh, you know, swing coach sort of work, uh, he's a guy that could see those sort of gains without doubt. Stephen, I'm going to ask you this because you've been on the inside of this having worked with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, you've drafted Rose in this spot, and like you said, you're going to have to go over slot. Your development staff's going to have to do a lot of work. How do you sell that to him so that he doesn't decide, I'm going to go back to Kentucky, uh, hit my way into the top half of the first round next year or somewhere in the first round? That's one where you – I mean – College coaches, college staffs can do a lot of good work as well as can uh, private workouts and all that. But we're professionals for a reason. We're prof we're a professional team. We have, and if you, if you really believe in your crew, you are selling that staff. You are selling the success stories that you see in the minor league systems. You are selling comparable, similarable, similarable, uh, similar, yeah, similar players to um, to Rhodes. And if they're doing their job, they should be able to sell them on that because again. These guys are professionals and, you know, you don't want to take anything away from private instructors or the colleges, but, you know, you sell your guys. You absolutely sell your guys. Yeah, I think I saw, sorry, Zach, uh, Jim Callis tweeted out that if someone gets picked in the first 10 rounds, they are getting signed because I think he said two out of the last X number of players drafted in that way uh, didn't sign, only two out of the last however many. So sounds like, They've come to some kind of agreement with Rhodes and these, the rest of these guys. I think the real question is, is that what they should have done? But it seems like that's what's going to happen. 
It's not what they should have done. This draft was a disaster. No pitching, no big name guys. You went under slot again and ruined the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't recognize any of these names from the two articles I read last week. <laughs> you guys remember that time Michael Wyatt signed Albert Bell? It screwed up the franchise for like a decade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm still not over him trading Manny Machado, so there's that too. This team, this team can't develop pitching, so that's been proven over the past 50 years. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, on that note, we're going to go on to the next college outfielder that was drafted by the Orioles today, and that's Dante Williams out of Arizona. Um, I have to admit, I watched some film on Williams, and I really liked what I saw, especially on defense. Seems like he's got a lot of range and a good arm. Uh, he's one of those guys that I think we're still trying to gather a little bit more intel on, but there's some reason to believe that the Orioles at least saw a couple of tools there that they liked. Um, so, Stephen, I'll start with you here. Thoughts on Williams in the fourth round? I tend to think he's not solely being picked there because he's a, you know a 22 years old and you can save some money on him. Frankly, he's not a senior signed fully because you know COVID. He has one extra year of eligibility, but that is definitely, I think, one of the biggest considerations because I do think um, the two guys we just talked about, Trimble and Rhodes, are going to take some money to sign. Um, and if they want to possibly get a Creed Willems in there, you know, later on, he's going to also need some money as well. Um, you know, baseball America said that they felt confident that he would wind it at TCU. So he'd need some money to sign, but there is still tools there. There is still a little bit of interest. He is hit. Well, he, um, he can take a walk, which is a shock. Um, I think his career walk rated, um, in college is around 15%. So like, you know, it's, it's nice to see a little bit of a variety for once in a while. It's got a little bit of pop, you know, and doesn't strike it as much. I think there are tools there. The hitting is there. You know, the hit tool is a little bit better than some of the other guys, but ultimately, you know, he's, he's there to save money in for the most part, I believe, but there is, there's the, um, there's the glimmer of value uh, that he can bring to the table, you know, if the development staff does a good job with him, he could be the, you know, um, the third prospect in a three prospect deal in 2023 to, uh, you know, pick up a deadline acquisition to hopefully push for the playoffs. That's a great point. And I think that's something that Orioles fans should keep in mind. I mean, just because we drafted five outfielders with their first 10 picks, even if they're all great and live out to their best potential, that just gives the Orioles more ammo for when we're planning to contend again in a couple of years. But uh, I saw someone throw out a Jackie Bradley Jr. comp on Dante Williams. That seems a little bit high, but, I mean, the defense is phenomenal. Those highlights are pretty awesome to watch. And uh, if he's got patience and pop, that's cool, too. Jackie Bradley Jr. went to high school down the road for me. I saw him in high school. I watched him in college. That's a bit strong. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is nice to see a two-time Pac-12 all-defensive guy. It is you just a lot of the highlights on him are of the glove out there in center field, which is fun to watch. Love the walk rates. Um, I kind of got maybe a little bit of like a poor man Zach Watson almost to kind of compare to current uh, Orioles guys, more recent Orioles draft picks. Uh, kind of you love the defense, you stick them out there in center field, the lower levels of the minor leagues, and I uh, kind of hope that he doesn't fall into these long offensive slumps uh, as he's developing uh, kind of deal. That's that's what I got out of Dante Williams. And I think Jonathan Mayo mentioned right after the pick that, yeah, he profiles as as a fourth outfield type. And uh, you know, he kind of said that, I think, a little uh, 
trying to be a little bit more positive, maybe, uh, in his analysis there of him, which uh, it is – I feel like we're not as excited tonight as we were last night about these guys. <laughs> um, and we're sitting here trying to sell it uh, to, to people listening. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that point of this being a guy where if the offense is good enough, the lower levels of the minor leagues, when you are starting to the Orioles get to that point of, right, we're going to start dealing for talent. We always talk about the Padres model. Uh, you know, eventually they're going to go out and make that big signing. You know, they went Eric Hosmer first and then prospects came up. Then it was the Machado signing. If the Orioles are going to make that big signing uh, sometime soon, hopefully in the next year, uh, we can get the ball rolling here and we continue to see the guys in this system play as well as they have. We started to see more guys outside of the top 30 even uh, fight for a top 30 spot. Um, you know, this is when you're able to start packaging these prospects for major league talent. And this is why you build this deep farm system. It's not all these guys aren't going to pan out, use them as trade bait. And if Williams can become that, uh, great. Let's do it. Uh, can I go ahead, Steve? I was going to say, if you want something positive, um, I mean, again, it plays into the Michael Elias has a type <laughs> thing, but, you know, I adjust all of the, uh, you know, power numbers and stats numbers for competition and all that. Orioles got uh, five of the top 25 um, bat college batters and adjusted ISO out of this draft. And that, in, uh, say, in uh, Trimble, Rhodes, Billy Cook, Ryan Higgins, and uh, Colton Kowser. Yeah, I was just going to make a stupid comparison that if Trimble is Stowers, then Rhodes is Watson and Williams is Johnny Riser. <laughs> I'll take it. They're all playing well. Zach Watson, Zach Watson is crushing the baseball right now. So this... I've forgotten the last two days that the Orioles actually already have players in their farm system. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> very weird, very weird. <laughs> so now we'll get to talk about the pitcher the Orioles did draft today. That was Carlos Tavera, a right-hander out of University of Texas, Arlington. Uh, if you follow our Twitter account, you'll notice that we did have a quote from Jim Callis up there earlier today. Uh, Callis said, this guy knows how to pitch. Slider is probably his best pitch. Um, prob- rides 91 to 93 with a fastball. Has a changeup. Uh, so if nothing else, you pick up a right-hander here with a three-pitch mix that maybe you can do something with. Um, I haven't seen much to say whether or not, seen enough to say whether or not he's a guy that you could project for more velocity. But in my mind, if you're bringing somebody in who has three pitches, um, two of which sound like they're in, you know, pretty good, your development staff can work with that a little bit. Yeah, I, I kind of think he's more of a two pitch guy. Me, per- I, I don't believe quite in the changeup. The slider is good. I think the slider is above average of 55. Fastball's a 47 and a half, 50, like, you know, average or just the titchiest bit uh below has real nice so there's um there's one video out there on youtube which has him at a nine a video of him throwing a fastball at 960 frames per second sort of thing so real real slow where you can see the spin gets a lot of nice backspin on the pitch so you know probably has a little bit of opportunity to have a little bit of rise there to it especially if he can add a couple of miles an hour to it um i will say on the uh, pitch he has a little bit of kind of a head whack on the uh on the uh, release and all that, uh, which kind of tends to profile him more towards a reliever, which, I mean, you know, I'd be fine with him as a uh, possibly as a two pitch reliever where he could maybe max out a little bit more on the fastball and uh, play up the slider. Yeah, that's, that right. Go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, that's was my thought kind of looking at that. And I was going to bring up if they mentioned the change up there at the end, if the slider is the best pitch, then I think that's, yeah, the fastball below isn't there, but if that slider is really that good, then could you just go ahead and you know, bring him in, ditch the change up, 
just go fastball slider reliever, maybe be a fast riser in the system, guy who doesn't spend a lot, whole lot of time in the minor leagues, hopefully. Second right into the bullpen. A lot of strikeouts, good strikeout numbers. And yeah. I know he's pitching the Sun Belt, but his Sun Belt hitters only hit 177 against him this season. So, I mean, <laughs> it, decent. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's a bullpen arm. It's depth. And what we've seen this year right now, and you know, Matt Blood alluded to this, that you know, without having 40 rounds in last year's draft, the Orioles are kind of struggling to find guys to pitch at the lower levels of the minor leagues and kind of fill those, you know, that Delmarva roster as well. And so maybe Carlos Tavar is one of those, or maybe if that slider is good enough, he hits and you got a bullpen arm there. Yeah, I think that sounds just like an Elias guy with the, the rising fastball, which we've proven, I feel like, the last couple of years that they can squeeze a couple of miles per hour extra out of these guys like a Garrett Stallings and uh, whoever else. Zach Peak, I think, raises velocity. Um and that slider, the one-two combo, it's kind of like uh, I think he'll start out as a starter and then eventually move to the bullpen, just like um, what's-his-face, who we've been calling for to do it, uh, Peralta, Felky Peralta. He's, we're still waiting for him to turn into a reliever. I think it's coming. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, Brad Seelick said that tomorrow will be like a run on pitchers. So they're going to try to fill out those <laughs> the Delmarva and FCL rosters uh, pitching Go ahead, Zach. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're good. Um, so we do want to get into some of the uh, some of those possibilities in a little bit. The sixth-round pick for the Orioles this year was Colin Burns, a shortstop out of Tulane. I uh, wanted to read this blurb from MLB Pipeline because it talks about how much he improved offensively from 2020 or really over his first two years at Tulane. After batting just 243, 373, 320 in his first two seasons. Burns added strength during the pandemic layoff and jumped to 353, 410, 571 with 20 steals this spring. A left-handed hitter with plus speed, good hands, and average arm strength. He profiles best as an offensive second baseman in pro ball. Orioles draft him as a shortstop. You probably stick with him at short for a little while just to see what you have, but, you know, I don't know that we have enough here to really say that the Orioles hit something here with Burns, but there seems to be enough raw athleticism to make this pick interesting. Yeah, and I think you can throw him at third base as well, in all honesty. Most cases, if the guy can play second base, assuming he's got an arm, which I'm not sure anything about. If he has enough of an arm, he can play third. Yeah, I like. I did see one article, uh, local paper down there in, in New Orleans area, that said he added like six pounds of muscle during the pandemic, and that was his big strength. Where he focused on his diet, uh, keeping that good weight on, keeping the muscle uh, muscles up, muscle strength up. And his head coach, is Travis Jewett here, said pound for pound, he was the strongest player on Tulane's roster this year uh, as a leadoff man, second baseman. Uh, so that's something good to see. A lot of extra base hits, stolen bases there. Um, the article also noted the defense, how the defense was actually really shaky early on in his career, a lot of mistakes, and he significantly cut down on the errors this season. That was another big area of focus for him. So I like reading that. Uh, I like seeing these guys grow like that. So maybe with the speed, his speed and hit ability, he's like a fun leadoff type hitter in the lower levels of minor leagues and see how he develops. And he's got a teammate there in Hudson Haskin, fellow Tulane guy. So clearly someone that uh, the Orioles saw when they were scouting Hudson Haskin over the last couple of years that, that they liked and kept in the back of their minds. We tweeted out a video clip of Burns um, earlier today that I thought was interesting. It looks like he has fairly quick hands through the zone. You know, granted, you're watching a home run there, so you're seeing a good swing. But I thought that from a little bit of video there, I liked what I saw. 
Yeah, I believe that was the Grand Slam video. I'm trying to go back and look and see what that one was. I think it was like a Grand Slam from the postseason this year. Um, I mean, Tulane's an interesting school. They've been producing a lot of good talent. Uh, you saw the pitcher. I forget where their pitcher went uh, in this draft. But you got Hudson Haskin in the system. I think this is another guy who, again, kind of like a, an Anthony Servideo type with more power. Uh, so a guy that can probably be another fast riser in the system. Yeah, I'm just getting around to watching the video. I actually hadn't seen really any video of him thus far. Um, yeah, no, Zach, I think you're right there. Has at least has at least quick enough hands to uh, you know turn on something on the inside and you know at least do something with it. So, yeah, there's there's enough there to be at least interesting. A little more than again, a little more than a money saver. And I will say, I just saw this. Steve Molesky just tweeted some more uh, quotes from. Uh, Brad Seolik there, who said they noted Tremble, uh, that they looks like they are going to look at him as a middle infielder as well, at least early on. And for uh, Tavera, they had him up to 96 miles an hour on his fastball. So that's, okay. that's good to see. That'd be nice. It'd be very nice. I wonder where the gap comes in velocity, though. I mean, they must have seen Tavera on a good night. Um, you know, most reports have him riding 91, 93. Um, I'm wondering, though, how much scouting they were able to do in person or how they were getting their velocity readings. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, but of course, if they're just saying, you know, riding 91 to 93, you know, 91 to 93, you could top out at 96 for a pitch maybe, um, or maybe 96 on the uh, stadium gun. That's a mile an hour hot. Always true. I mean, you can always get a stadium gun. That's going to move the fastball one way or another, I think. Oh Yeah. Grace Rodriguez was 105, right? In Bowie. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> this is why we adjust data. I mean, heck, this is why we even adjust pitch FX data for park effects when you get this stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're going to move on now to the uh, seventh round pick. Connor Pavoloni, a catcher out of Tennessee. Um, this to me looked interesting. You heard good reports on his defense, had a hand injury during his time at Tennessee that stalled, uh, you know, took away some on-field time from him, but good reports on his defense. Looks like he's able to generate a little bit of power with that swing. Um, I know the Orioles already have Adley Russman in the system. They don't need any more catchers, but it looks like if you're going to pick a guy and, you know, pick up a catcher here um, just to fill out your system, this isn't a bad one to get. And I kind of want to go back to Steven's point earlier. Um, about getting guys that you could potentially throw in trades later on. Catching is kind of a commodity in deals. So if you're able to build that up a little, that pipeline up a little bit behind Adley Rutzman, by all means do it because it could come back to help you uh, a few years down the line. Yeah, I like this pick. I think he's one that just gut instinct, quickly looking at these guys. Uh, Pavoloni is a guy that I think I'm going to fall in love with because I'm a sucker for these minor league depth catchers, like Maverick Hanley being one of my favorite players in this system. If you listen to the show, you know that. Uh, big former Daniel Fajardo fan, old catcher in this system. Like I, I love guys like that for whatever reason. Um, and now the Orioles can pair him with Garrett Stallings, maybe, uh, down there in Aberdeen uh, sometime soon. So you got that Tennessee connection again. But yeah, good on base numbers throughout his career in college. SEC guy, you mentioned he he broke his hand, fractured his hand. He got hit by I think I saw it was like a ninety six or ninety seven monitor fastball that got him. So he missed some time. But I saw another interview that he just did where he said the hand is healthy, he's ready to go. Um, so you know he may not be the defensive wizard that Maverick Hanley is behind the plate. I don't know, but the the broadcast Jim Callis was pretty high on his receiving skills and the arm behind the plate. 
said he probably could have been a third round pick, but I'm guessing maybe with the broken hand and not getting a lot of playing time this year, maybe that slid him down the boards a little bit, but um, this is a guy, you know, defensive minded catcher Orioles fans have been wanting that. And he seems like a good guy to have in your system uh, to kind of work with these younger pitchers that the Orioles have. Yeah. I mean, and the swing looks nice. The swing looks like it works. Um, there's you know a couple of BP videos out there and besides the, uh, you know, game video that you can occasionally get. I mean, the swing looks like, Looks like it can work. And I mean, yeah, as I say the strikeout numbers are there because this is an Orioles draft. Of course there it is. But um, there's still production. There's still absolutely production. There's still a little bit of pop there. Yeah. Um, uh, the third round comment from Jim Cowes is what stood out to me. That seemed like, you know, maybe the broken hand is going to work out in our favor. I love the Garrett Stallings shout out uh, on Twitter. And with Colin Burns that I didn't, I don't think I got a chance to say anything about. Uh, hopefully he was friends with Hudson Haskins at uh, Tulane. I think that there is, there's some potential value here, you know, college catcher in a major division one program and really build up that depth chart a little bit behind Adley Rutzman. It doesn't hurt at all. Yeah. Someone made a good comment too uh, on our Twitter account on the pick that you look at Del Mar's roster right now and they have Ryan Ogren, uh, an infielder that they have converted to catcher to help fill out because I think Jordan Cannon is on the IL right now in Del Marva. So, I mean, you, you, you need guys catching. I mean, eventually you're going to have Ryland Bannon playing catcher at some point again and kind of throwing that pick away. Um, so yeah, you, you need these guys. I'm sure they'll probably bring in one or two more. So I, I know you mentioned Adley Rutschman, but I think Sammy Basalo is the catcher of the future. Uh, so he's, we already got that covered. But yeah, you do need these depth pieces. And, and I'll take the SEC catcher any day of the week. So the Orioles followed up with another catcher. And this is one of the over slot guys we talked about earlier. And that's Creed Willems, a high school catcher that reportedly has a strong commitment to TCU. But the Orioles go ahead and grab him in the eighth round and are going to try to sign him. Uh, the tools here are intriguing. Hits from the left side, has a lot of power. Um, he's listed at six foot 225. I watched some video of him earlier, and I thought that the, you, know, you picture someone who's six foot 225. You're not thinking about good footwork and speed. But he runs fairly well. He's got good footwork behind the plate. I saw the video I saw of him. I liked his movements behind the plate, blocking balls in the dirt. Decent arm back there. And one thing to note is that he was actually a pitcher as well uh, through 90, reportedly from one report that I saw, 91 93 on the mound, hit 94 a few times with a slider. So there's um, some athleticism here. You're going to go over slot, most likely get him away from TCU, but there's a potential to get value here, I think. Yeah, I saw um, uh, on, I think it was Kevin Goldstein's podcast. Um, God, I can never remember the names of things when I need to, but uh, I remember him saying that they can project about 30 pounds being added to any high school pick. So he's going to be a big kid behind a plate and hitting bombs. So between him and Samuel Basalo, who Nick mentioned, and Adley Rutschman, of course. Maverick Hanley. I mean, Orioles going to be loaded with catching prospects if they all hit, of course. But, uh, yeah, I really love this pick. He's obviously got power. He's got. He's going to be a fan favorite, like a J.D. Mundy-type hitter in there in the box. So, yeah, I, I love this pick. Maybe my favorite pick of the draft. Yeah, and he generates that power with a you know pretty short stroke. Like, he's you know, if you look at some of the uh, – the very few video that's out, he's not really getting a really deep load. He's keeping it pretty short, pretty quick to the ball. And uh, to get that sort of power um, out of that sort of stroke is pretty impressive and speaks to his strength and, you know, and just uh, batting form. So 
as it's gonna that's it's an interesting one. I really hope they're able to get him get him get him away from TCU. Um, if not, I think we'll uh, assuming again, you know, they mentioned he's gonna have to stay on top of conditioning and all that sort of thing. But um, assuming say if they can't get him away from TCU, I think we'll be hearing from him uh, in you know three years time. Yeah, I definitely loved the videos of him just cranking bombs. And Jim Callis said right off the bat, he seemed really excited about the power potential there and also said there's potential to hit for a good average. Uh, you know, still learning the catching position. So, of course, right now you're going to keep him behind the plate as he goes to the Florida Complex League and plays at least this year, probably starts out there next year if he signs. Um, but, yeah, it's huge kid. Love the highlights. Got the wheels. 70 grade bat flip, definitely 80 grade potential on the bat flip. Like, and I saw right before we came on that Joe Trezza tweeted out uh, some more quotes from after the draft that the Orioles brought uh, Williams in to Camden Yards for a workout, and he was a frequent visitor to Utah Street in his workout. So clear power there from the left side. And yeah, I think this is definitely the pick that I'm most excited about because, yeah, him watching him run around those bases on that triple that he had on that one video. It's like a Williams Astadio type guy running around out there. You're not expecting it, and then it's just bam, it's flat, fast as lightning out there. Um, definitely going to take some money, I think. I think this is where a lot of that underslot money savings is probably going to have to go to, and plus any picks that maybe come about tomorrow in day three. But this is definitely a fun one that I think Orioles fans can get behind, and hopefully he signs. I'm going to throw this out there. I think this is another type that the Orioles have, and we are not seeing much of it in this draft but it's the high school position player with a lot of raw power and a strong arm with questions about the hit tool. Uh, We had those questions about Gunnar Henderson a few years ago. We had that with Kobe Mayo last year and Willems, I think kind of fits that mold this year, even if, you know, his ceiling and his floor are not as high as those guys were when they were coming into the draft. We don't go after a lot of high school, you know, guys early on in these last three drafts. But when they do, they seem to be pretty good about hitting them with between Gunner and Kobe Mayo. So, yeah, that just makes me even more excited about Creed. Yeah, I'm curious, too. Like, you look at his size, though. I wonder, like, what is the risk of him being, you know, the first base DH type? Or is it because he can throw 95 on the mound or he has that strong arm as long as he can stay in shape? You look at him as possibly like a corner outfielder as well if the bat plays. So I don't know if, if there's a risk of him becoming, you know, that DH first baseman, maybe that hurts a little bit. But if you got that arm strength, you can put it out there in, in right field or left field, maybe like, a, I don't know, I'm picturing like a Josh Naylor type guy uh, out there on defense. Um, maybe not the greatest defensive outfielder out there, but if the bat plays, then, he helps. Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, there we go. And and remember, the RoboZones are coming. Like yeah. whether it's this CBA or the next CBA, they're coming. By the time Willems is up in the majors, they'll probably be here. So as long as he can handle a pitching staff, call a good game, if he's got the arm, you can you can work him behind the plate. And again, that's part of the part of the reason why um, you know, that, that was kind of part of the reason why I was down a little bit on Henry Davis. I think the value of the catcher position might come back just a titch as teams are able to throw um a few more bat focused players behind the plate. I want to throw this out there. This is about the first base DH types. We know that, you know, it's obviously a limited profile, but does the fact that we're probably going to have a universal DH here in the near future change that slightly? Not that it's going to make DH is really valuable, but is there a little bit more, is it a bit, a little bit more reassuring from a player development perspective? If a guy's going to wind up at DH that, that's something that's going to help the other 29 teams in a trade and 
not be limited to, you know, 14 teams in your league. Should at least increase trade value. Yeah, it should help a little bit. Um, still wouldn't want to take a high school first base DH type of guy. I'd rather see those guys come from college. Yeah, I agree. I think I wonder how much that's playing into the whole discussion right now. And you're looking at the potential rule changes that are going to be in play in a couple of years. Um, I wonder how much of a factor front offices are are putting into their draft picks this year when looking at that. That'd be interesting conversation, I think. Well, you, you mentioned that, and this was actually something I was kind of saving probably till um, more like the, uh, I was thinking of saving till the uh, final reactions, but you know, the Orioles definitely seem to have a type and we got a lot of players who are a similar type. And um, I believe it was JJ Cooper had a piece at baseball America talking about Ty Madden, how the things that he does aren't currently valued in baseball, specifically from his fastball uh, perspective of his fastball. And to a certain extent, you know, right now power is very much King in baseball. Power is very, very valued and it's a very, very important thing. And it's always going to be an important thing. Strikeouts and, you know, you know, strikeouts be damned and all that sort of thing. But as the game is changing, you know, who knows if suddenly strikeouts might be in a sense, a little more damaging. Maybe there might be more value in putting the ball in play in the future. Again, it's hard to say, I don't necessarily know that this is how the game is going to go, but it does make me a little worried that so many of this draft class follow that uh, questionable hit tool, big power and high strikeout type because, it's a bet that the game is kind of going to stay the same, at least in that regard. So it's a little worrying uh, to me in that regard. Not not enough for me to completely pan the picks or anything like that, but it's just something that kind of was playing in the back of my head as I was seeing this play out. Yeah, I agree, especially for the longer, the guys that are probably three, four, five years away rather than two. Um, I think that that is a little bit more of a concern. So we'll go uh, on now to who the Orioles drafted in the ninth round, and that's Ryan Higgins, the third baseman out of Fresno State. Uh, I'll just pull here from this MLB pipeline report. He's always hit and had big raw power, but with a looser, more flexible body now, he was getting to that power more this season, giving him the chance to hit for both average and some pop at the next level. Higgins has played both third bay, third and left field at Fresno State. Fresno State spending much more time at the latter this spring. He initially looks uncomfortable in both spots, often going to a knee to field a ground ball, but improved as the spring went on. With an above-average arm and decent hands, the team might want to give him a chance on the dirt, but it's the bat that will get him drafted. Sounds like college Kobe Mayo. Yeah, I don't think that's, an, I don't think that's a bad comparison. I'll take that then. Uh, this is one that I had questions about because it didn't seem like there was – a lot of hype. And I think it was Mayo who mentioned during the broadcast that, you know, for someone, I think he maybe came out of the gate slow or didn't have a super successful, maybe early college career, but the power numbers had always been there. The raw power was always there. And he was shocked that there weren't more scouts all over this kid. Uh, and so for the Orioles to get him in the ninth round, maybe this is a, one of those really sneaky, sleepy picks for the Orioles get, you know, if everyone else is down on him, I mean, he had a, a, a an OPS of one, 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 nine. I mean, 11 home runs, 13 doubles, 45 games. So you love those numbers as well. Um, and, and yeah, if you want to try them out at third base, that's fine, but I'll, I'll take the potential big raw power kid over at third base and college performer and see what happens with him. I, I will say, even with the sort of, you know, Mayo college Mayo ish sort of thing, like, you know, Mayo certainly had a higher ceiling because he's getting to those sort of, uh, that sort of loud contact in BP and all that at age 18, 19. So, you know, there is that little bit of difference there. So. 
it's light mayo, you know. You, sometimes you need to watch your calories. There we go. <laughs> so for the uh, final pick of day, two, their final pick of day two, the Orioles drafted Billy Cook, um, an outfielder out of Pepperdine. Looks like he's got some power projection. I did see the video we tweeted out earlier today. Um, no, I have not seen a ton on him yet, but uh, for you know that last pick of the day, the Orioles continue with college uh, outfielder with some power, and it seems like Cook fits that mold a bit. Yeah, 17 home runs in only 33 games this season. That's Those are big numbers. I think he led the conference. Uh, 26 home runs in his career. He's got a lot of experience in North Woods League, hit home runs there, so that's a wooden bat summer league. You like to see that. Um, yeah, I think it, as far as like, you know, a 10th-round pick guy out of Pepperdine, this is. I feel like this is a good pick. It looked like the strikeouts were there. They talked a lot about his – him wanting to make a lot of adjustments uh, during at bats. And that kind of led to a lot more strikeouts, but as we talked about strikeouts aren't an issue right now. Uh, so if you've got that raw power, then get him in the system and see what you can do. I'm interested to know about more about his defense though. I wonder how, how that plays, but. Yeah. You can... yeah. Go, Go ahead, Bob. Oh, I wasn't going to say anything important, but I just, <laughs> I was going to say if you can get maybe like one or two of these four outfielders that they took after cows are to hit, then that's gotta be a success. I mean, you take four guys that are projectable college hitters and, you know, maybe one or two of them stick. They'll be happy with that. So I, I like this pick. I mean, nothing fancy, but it's solid seems like for a 10th rounder. Yeah. And, at, at, and as a senior, that tells me, you know, one of two things is going here. Either they think they were pretty close up to their uh, bonus limit on the guys that they'd taken, or maybe there's a, you know, a high schooler or a, uh, college guy who might be uh might take just a pitch more money uh waiting for us at uh, in the 11th round there so let's move into that then because the orioles uh will move on to the 11th round tomorrow is there any players that are remaining uh right now on the board that the orioles could potentially throw some money at uh to sign and maybe add some elements to this class that aren't there right now I'd say there aren't too many high schoolers that I think are particularly signable at this point. Now with what I think uh, is left of the Orioles budget there, there are, there are definitely some college performing pitchers who are left there. Uh, Troy Melton out of San Diego state's kind of interesting. He he's performed very well in my model. And I think he has, I think he has some stuff and he's a young guy, you know, seems to fit that kind of Elias young player sort of mold. Um, and, and has enough stuff there that, uh, that we could work with that. Shall we say, um, but as I say, I don't know if there's any high schoolers that clearly are the overslot type of guys that we're looking at. I think we're going to just see a lot of college performers, two pitch guys to fill out um, some of these later rounds at this point. Yeah, I expect them to attack the college pitchers much like they did in 2019 later on in the draft. Just to, you know, you hopefully you hit on some quality relief uh, prospects or maybe one of them you luck into could potentially be a back end starter. Actually, if we're if we're talking about big power guys, this isn't a high schooler, but uh Nico Cavadas out of Notre Dame is still sitting out there. And uh um I think I had him, let's see. I think he had the highest uh or if not the highest, top five highest, uh third highest, there we go. Um adjusted ISO. So there you go. More big power. First base type, but I mean hey, it's the eleventh, twelfth round, you know, go for something like that. 
I could get on with that. I was going to say, I, I've watched a lot of Notre Dame this year, and to add him with like a T.T. Bowens and J.D. Bundy in the system, you go from having no first base prospects in this system to just three guys who can mash the baseball. So I'll take that pick as well. 21 home runs this year, 21 home runs in 46 games, and a 461 ISO. 461. Whoa. So we are going to end the show on the draft uh, in a moment, but Nick, Bob, and I wanted to take some time to uh, fit in our normal segment that we do each week where we highlight guys outside of our top 30 list and talk about something that has impressed us with them lately, whether it's their overall performance, individual game, last seven, 10 days or whatever. So we're going to do that now. And I'm going to take a minute to highlight Caden Grenier. Grenier is scuffling a little bit so far in July, but if you follow our Twitter account, you'll notice he had a long home run at Bowie last week to straightaway center field. Um, The reports about the defense are still great, but I think that so far this year he's been at least interesting enough with the bat that you're starting to – it's easier to see him possibly working his way onto the roster, um, at least working his way to AAA before the year is over, and maybe entering the big leagues as sort of a utility type that gives you a lot of value on defense but also has some sneaky power. The strikeouts are a huge question mark with him. But overall, I have been pleasantly surprised by what we've seen at the plate from him. Yeah, I mean, that 433-foot home run was pretty impressive that he hit the other day. I think that was Saturday or Sunday. Um, I'm just frustrated with him because he started giving me hope again. It was like low average, good power in May, and then zero power, good average in June. And now he's slumping but showing the power again. But, yeah, the strikeout's just been so consistently high. Uh, I'm not moving him up any list right now, but I think he's definitely someone who – is could be a valuable depth option in AAA. Kind of raise that floor there with the current options, uh, the AAA roster. Um, you know that Jemai Jones guy, it's not an infielder. Uh, valuable depth there, but yeah, King Grenier starts to prove it. Yeah, to me, he's just next year's Mason McCoy. You know, the guy who's in AAA Norfolk all season. It's like, oh, maybe he'll get a shot. Maybe he'll get a shot, and then it kind of slips away. And maybe he eventually will. But I don't. It's it's just I'm just glad that he is finding some success, you know, at the, in the minor league level, and is going to stick in the organization a little bit longer than maybe I thought a couple weeks into this year. But it, it was cool to see him hit that home run, and he's still walking at a good rate and playing good defense. So, um, I'll go there. I guess I'll go. Uh, I'm going Delmarva's Noah Denoyer again. Uh, there wasn't really a whole lot to choose from. I think this week, kind of some slower performances down the farm system, but uh, six shutout innings, no walks, six strikeouts in his last outing. He's now got a 3.19 area in the year, 52 strikeouts and 42 innings, low batting average against. Um, he's been really fun to watch. The big knock on him was the high walk rate, uh, but no walks over six innings is good to see. Hopefully he continues that. I love watching him pitch. I love the backstory. The guy they got undrafted in 2019, so 40 rounds of draft went by. They pick up DeNoyer, and now he's performing pretty well in Delmarva, so hopefully he continues that. Yeah, that was good to see, and he did better than Shane Davis this week, that's for sure. But uh, a big but reason ahead, why the Delmarva pitching staff has really become such an interesting part of that team, especially as a lot of the big name hitters that they had early on, like Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westbrook, have moved up. So Denoyer has definitely made Delmarva uh, or helped make Delmarva a fun team to watch just because that pitching has picked up so much um, as some of the top hitters are promoted. Yeah. Well, I was going to go with a guy who. 
we kind of were questioning why he was promoted from Delmarva to Aberdeen. It's Dylan Harris, the outfielder. We thought maybe Hudson Haskin would be that guy, but it's quite an interesting journey for him. He was hitting 224 with a 419 on base percentage and a 294 slugging percentage with Delmarva. So basically walking a ton. He had 25 walks and not hitting for any power. And now since he's gone up to Aberdeen, he's hitting 276, 323, 483. So he's He's hitting for power now, and he's only walked twice in a few weeks that he's been up there. But he had a OPS over a thousand this past week, so I just want to give him a shout out and uh, apologize for questioning the promotion. Yeah, he's a fun player to watch. Good defense. Another one of those undrafted guys. So there's, there's, he's holding his own for sure. I mean, the on base percentage is like almost four hundred, I think, for the year combined. So you love to see that as well. So good for Dylan Harris. Like it, some of the other guys. Was it Trevor Key that also got promoted with Harris? He's he's been struggling a little bit, but it's good to see for Harris. UNC kid, so I'll root for him. Yeah, Harris has kind of been up there with Zach Jarrett, I think is one of the bigger surprises of the promotions. And then to see the guy go up to the next level and really perform is always encouraging. So Harris is definitely worthy of a shout-out this week. He has played well at Aberdeen. So now we'll pivot back to the draft here and wrap up with some of our thoughts. Uh, we'll kind of go two-pronged approach here, really summarize what we thought of the draft as a whole, maybe some of the picks that surprised us, the teams that we thought did well, and then we'll turn our attention back to the Orioles to wrap things up. So I'll start with Steven here. Looking at the other 29 drafts uh, that have taken place over the last two days, what has stood out to you? I am very impressed with uh, two particular teams and how they went about their, uh, I guess, attacking the draft. Um, first off, uh, the Detroit Tigers. Jackson Job, I understand there are questions, especially once Marcelo Meyer uh, was suddenly available there at three. But Job, again, has the chance to be the best pitcher in the draft. And that's a draft, you know, when this is all said and And that's a draft with Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker in it. And so that's saying something. And so getting him, getting uh, Ty Madden, who I think, again, has at 32, a lot of value. And then Isaac Pacheco, he was a uh, he was a guy that I was kind of thinking maybe the Orioles might be in on on the overslot at 41, you know, middle infielder, big power, a little bit of question on the hit tool. Seemed like the type of guy that the Orioles might be going for at 41, but he was gone, you know, two picks before that. But um, I, I was impressed with that top three. And then the Pirates, the fact that, you know, they, the fact that they got Henry Davis at number one, which again, you know, is an underslot, but from that underslot, they're then able to get Anthony uh, Solomato, who, you know, has a chance to possibly be one of the better pitchers in this draft. Definitely the, um, you know, one of the best high school lefties in the draft, Lonnie White Jr., who has a lot of big power. And then to top it all off, Bubba Chandler at number 72. If they can come away signing all four of those guys, that is a haul. And that is a huge deal for a team that needs a lot of help in its minor league system. So those two teams, great job on their part. Assuming they can get the get the deals done, they're going to see a lot of, lot of good help and a lot of you know a lot of wonderful talent being added to those systems especially especially with Detroit already adding Torkelson last year yeah I liked both of those drafts in the Marlins too actually but um I would say I liked at least from the Orioles perspective I can't I don't know enough about everything to go into all the other ones but for the Orioles I'm not disappointed with our draft I mean to me, it seems like Elias' strategy now that we've got the international thing up and running in full motion almost. It seems like the amateur draft is to raise the floor of the system 
the international signings are to raise the ceiling. So that's the way I'm looking at it. And uh, in that sense, I think it was a successful day. Yeah, I like that. And you get your guy at the top there in Colton Kowser. That's the guy who you think could hopefully be a major league contributor and a major league regular for you uh, if everything goes well. But I agree with a lot of that. I think looking at the rest of the draft as a whole, um, I personally just one of my favorite drafts. And then I don't know, but looking at their entire draft here, but I like Cleveland just because Cleveland drafted every player on my, I know that guy list. I watched him pitch list. Um, Gavin Williams, Doug McKay, Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich. I think they drafted three Florida pitchers, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Ryan yep. Webb out of Georgia. Yeah. They, so they definitely have a type as well. Um, so I'm, it's going to be fun to see what Cleveland can do there. Uh, I was upset that Colorado got Jaden Hill and Joe Rock. Uh, Joe Rock was fun to watch from Ohio. And poor Jaden Hill. I mean, he's going to come back from Tommy John, and then who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, Colorado's going to – he's going to retire next year as well. Having the Rockies had like 30 guys retire this year, uh, minor leaguers. So mm. he's probably next on that list. Um, but, yeah, just for me being familiar with guys, this being the first year where I actually sat down and watched a lot of college baseball, uh, Cleveland was definitely my favorite draft. But Pittsburgh uh, is definitely intriguing because – you have to imagine they probably took that gamble going with Davis first, saving all that money, but look how it paid off. And you wonder if a lot of Orioles fans are going to look at that and say, Michael Elias didn't that Michael Elias failed at that in 2020, the 2020 draft that didn't work out. Um, Looking at this year, it didn't work out. No big names, but Pittsburgh, it worked out. So I'm waiting for that to be the new kind of bomb that sets everything off among Orioles. I mean, remember Pittsburgh did have $3 million more than us this year and, and about a million or so more than uh, us last year. Incidentally, 3 million is around what it's expected to take to sign Bubba Chandler. So that's what you get for getting the number one pick. Yeah, that's how it's done. That's how you play the underslot game. But uh, I, I also thought real quick that it was interesting that the San Francisco Giants had like the opposite draft of the Orioles, where I think their first nine or ten picks were all pitchers, and everyone was like, uh, "Are we going to have any hitters from this draft?" So, just interesting. So uh, I loved Pittsburgh's draft. I thought that they did a really good job adding value to that system. Uh, they absolutely needed to add value to that system. And while I'm sure that there were some grumblings in Pittsburgh last night, like, why didn't you take Mayor? Why didn't you take Lighter? I think it's working. Uh, you know, it's going to take years to find out if it does work, but going with Henry Davis and then adding three really good players behind him, getting Bubba Chandler, who I was hoping was going to follow the Orioles, um, and he ultimately didn't. So I thought Pittsburgh had a good draft. I thought Cleveland and Detroit both had good drafts. If the Marlins can sign their top two picks, they had a great draft. I'm not sure if they can, but we'll see what happens. They signed their top two picks. They had a good draft. And one other one that I wanted to throw out there, and that's the Cardinals. I kind of was intrigued by their top two picks of getting Michael McGreevy and then following that up with Joshua Baez at 54. It seems like there's an organization that will do something with a command-type pitcher like McGreevy. It's going to be the Cardinals. Plus, the Cardinals, we all know one of two things are going to happen. These guys are going to be multi-time All-Stars, or three years from now, they will be traded for a player that's in the last year of his contract, isn't going to sign with his current team, goes to St. Louis and signs a reasonable seven-year extension, and then rides his way into the Hall of Fame, because that's always what the Cardinals do. Yep. Or they will trade him for next to nothing to the Yankees, and then they'll break out. <laughs> or to anyone, Radio yes. or Zayna, you know, the list goes on. Yeah. 
Looking at their picks, I like Austin Love too out of UNC, the pitcher there. Uh, yeah. When he's on, I, I think he plays pretty well too. So that, yeah, good job. I think just just from a whole perspective, I think going to going back to the Orioles as well. I mean, how much can we really judge these drafts right now? There's still ten more rounds as well, and I mean, you just gotta trust right now. Trust the player development staff. Trust the trust the, what the Orioles are doing. Trust their model. They really haven't given us any reason not to trust them yet, in my opinion. So I'm going with these guys. I'm going to go over the next couple of weeks, continue to learn as much as I can about these guys. Hopefully we get to see some of them at some point this year, uh, maybe in Delmarva a little bit, or at least get some, you know, box score information from the Florida Complex Complex League. See how they're doing now, down there. But for right now, I'm, I'm just going to trust this, trust the system and see what these guys do because... You can't. I don't want to bring on this whole conversation again, but you can't say anything about it. Last year was a failure. The Hessen Curse I pick was a failure. I don't think you anybody can say that right now, even though everybody is saying that right now. Uh, so this year, I, let's go with it. See, let's get these guys on the field. Yeah. So for me, it's just you know we'll see what happens with these bats. I think the Orioles took some risks today. We're going to see if they pay off, but. There is enough athleticism here in this draft class to intrigue me. I think Colton Cowder was a good pick at number five. I'm happy with that selection. I think on its own, it's going to be a good pick. Completely agreed. Absolutely. All right. So um, that just about does it here for us on On the Verge with our draft shows. Steven, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate your insight. Um, So what's your uh, coverage looking like on Baltimore Sports and Life over the next week or so? Well, let's see. I think I'm probably not going to have anything, you know, talking about day one and day two. I think we covered that pretty well here. Probably on Wednesday, I'm going to sit down, start looking at the draft as a whole, kind of go over a few things, maybe take a look at a couple of the other teams, maybe in the division. But, uh, you know, a little bit of a retrospective on Wednesday and then probably sometime next week. Start looking forward to 2021. Elijah Green, I calculated out his draft score. Draft score initially of 30 and a half. And there's a uh, shortstop that ranked probably in the top five who would probably top him high school shortstop. So I'll start kind of looking forward to that. And then I think I'm going to take about three months off from the draft. (laughs) Well, Stephen, we always appreciate your insight. So thank you so much for joining us for these last two days. Thanks to Nick and Bob uh, for bringing this along here. So This is uh, Zach Spedden, and you've been listening to On the Verge.